It is good to be in God's church today. How many of you made the coffee house last night and were bold and courageous to make it here? How many of you were wiser and went to bed earlier and still made it here? Okay, there you go. <laughs> Whether you were up late at night or you got to bed early or you didn't go to bed at all, uh, we're glad you're here today. Uh, may God just use your presence and the fellowship and to be encouraged. And as we go to the Word, both here and in the service today, and I trust the Spirit of God uses that. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, He will use His Word in your life. It doesn't come back void. And may He just make you a good listener today of what He has to say. For a few announcements, uh, by the way, this is Boundless Sunday. Obviously, we're at Sunday here. Boundless Thursday is um, another great time we gather together. We'd love to have you join us uh, at Boundless on Thursday, 7 p.m. over in the, in the ministry center. And um, with that, uh, you know, Clay just finished uh, the book of 1 John. Clay, what are you getting into next? Boundless Thursday. Sorry, he's been busy over there. Boundless Thursday, what's your topic? Starting personal evangelism. I want to learn about how God can use you and in ministry to others. You're, you, can, you can hit the front end of that new series. Join us Thursday over there, okay? Um, <clears throat> also, tonight we have communion and we have baptism. And man, what a great time it's going to be. We're going to be meeting right in here, okay, 5 p.m. The whole service will be the baptisms, the testimonies, and then uh, the Lord's Supper as well. Really encourage you as a college student to get into some communions through the year, uh, while you're away from home or maybe your typical home church setting, uh, to be helpful to you in just being obedient in practicing this ordinance that God has commanded us to do, Christ commanded us, until he comes. And if this is an opportunity where you can do that tonight, we'd love to have you. Seven of our uh, boundless students, attenders here, will be baptized tonight, seven of the nine. So it's going to be a great time where we can see our friends and and fellow brothers and sisters being baptized, you can be praying about them today. They're, they're stepping out in faith and, and, and trusting God and, um, and to be baptized. And I'm just so, looking so forward um, uh, just to seeing their act of obedience and seeing the picture of the gospel and baptism and hearing how God has worked in their lives. Nothing more encouraging than, than hearing about that. Uh, also, remember the fun run and carnivals coming up soon, this, uh, this next weekend over at uh, TCS our Timberlake Christian School, and a number of you have signed up to help with that on Saturday, April 2nd, and if that's something you would still like to do, get on the church app, get on the church website, you can sign up for that and be a help and a ministry to our church and to our community. Well, thanks for joining us today. Why don't we open a word of prayer, and we'll get into the word together, all right? Thank you, Lord. Uh, The blessings of this new day. Oh, Lord, it's a day you've made. We rejoice. We're glad in it. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, for redeeming us. Thank you for changing us. Thank you for uh, making us uh, your, your, your child, Lord. You chose us. We believed on you. And, Lord, you did the miraculous. You took a sinner, blind, uh, a rebel, uh, no interest in spiritual things, the inability to trust you or to look to you. But, Lord, by your favor, by your grace, you you, you called us, and you, and, you, and you chose us, and you predestined us. And, Lord, we responded in faith. We made that choice, and, and Lord, you've, you've blessed that. 
And now, Lord, we, we come to you in just humble adoration. Lord, teach us from your word. Open our eyes. May the Spirit work in our hearts and our minds to know your will, to know your ways, and to find the blessings of that to be true in our lives today as we seek to believe and obey. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, last week we started a new lesson series on godly decision-making. Now, I don't know if that has any relevance in your life at all as you think about life in general, uh, life in the fast lane there at Liberty or at work or whatever you're doing at this, this, uh, this phase of your life, this stage of your life, but decisions are a part of life, the no-brainer statement of the day, isn't it? You, got, you had to make a decision. Will I go to coffee house or not? How long will I stay? Uh, when will I get up this morning? Uh, can I make it to church on time? Uh, what about my responsibilities I have today? Uh, how many cups of coffee will I need to drink uh, to get to those tasks later today? Will I take a nap or not? Can I make it to the service tonight? Uh, what about my classes this week? What about those work assignments? Decisions, decisions, decisions. And then there's those big decisions we have to make, right? Who will I marry? What career choice should I make? Uh, should I change my major again? Uh, you know, we, 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 we have these big decisions we always are, are faced with, and it's like, how do I make those godly decisions? How do I make those something that honor God and just isn't busyness in my life, okay? And when we looked last week, we started here. This is going to be a quick summary, all right? So some of you are going to be a little upset because I'm going to go a little quick through a review of last week. I don't mean upset that you don't like the content. I'm saying more like, uh, you probably won't get everything copied down. If you need my notes later, I can give you some things, okay? But what we saw with decision-making is there's a supreme priority. It's this. God wants faithful followers. He's in the business of making us more like Jesus Christ. Not just success-oriented, making the perfect decision, flawless execution, no problems in my life, watching basketball and eating popcorn today, and life's good because I made good decisions. Yes, God wants us to make good decisions, but it flows out of being a faithful follower. He's in the process of producing faithfulness in us. Another way you could say that is God wants God honoring decision makers that demonstrate their faithfulness to God. Okay, There's an overriding principle here. And we saw a lot of that here in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, right? Really instructive what James has to say. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Do you find it like me that it's easy to live life knowing the right things, but kind of living and doing things very different? I mean, we, we know the right things intellectually. I mean, we, we, we get so much scripture. We get so much knowledge. Maybe you've got the verses memorized from those Awana days, and they're up there. But functionally, we kind of lived apart from that. I know those things, but I live differently. And that's what we see in, in James chapter 4 with a decision maker. That's apart from God. It's all about them. It's all about their success. It's all about pragmatism. It's all about what works, right? 
And it's apart from God. And what does James call this way of living or this way of making decisions? He calls it boastful. He calls it arrogant. He calls it evil. Wow, ouch, James, come on, a little easier here. But James points us to the right approach. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. There's this, there's this posture. There's this, there's this way of approaching God in humility. And what is he really doing? He's pointing us to God's sovereignty. If the Lord wills. There's a submission to the fact that there is a God, and he has a plan. And I'm a part of that plan. And I'm not just to live my life in such a way as if I'm not observing or acknowledging that there's a God that has purposes and plans for my life. God's sovereignty. God does whatever he pleases while ensuring that his purposes and plans are fully accomplished in all circumstances, in all people, in a manner that is always consistent with his holy character. God's sovereignty. He does whatever he pleases. He has his own plans. He receives counsel from no one. There's no one that influences his plans, his purposes. He has no higher authority that tells him what to do. Job 42.2 says this, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. If God has decreed it, his decreed will, it will occur. And he ensures that his purposes and plans will be fully accomplished. That's God's providence. He has not only a plan, he has not only a purpose, but he's actively involved in the activity and circumstances and our way of life, okay, to ensure that his purposes are fulfilled. He didn't just start spinning the earth and kind of throw it out there, and there it is rotating out there, and now he's out over in his rocking chair, you know, <laughs> you know, catching a little March Madness, you know, and, uh, watching a little TV, uh, kind of doing his own thing, and just kind of let all these folks out here figure it all out. No, he's actively involved. He's providential, ensuring that his purposes are fulfilled in good and in bad, in your decisions that are good and those that are bad. He will accomplish his will, and he'll see it to the end. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. He does that in all circumstances. He does that in all people. And he does that in a manner that is always consistent with his holy character. We'll be looking at that a little bit today. So just some points from last week and based on what we just said. God is sovereign. He has a plan for your life. He knows who you're going to marry. He knows if you're going to finish your degree or not. He knows if you're going to get that A or get that flagging F. He knows these things, okay? He knows all. He wouldn't be God if he did not know, and not just know, but purpose them, ordain them. And yet, man is responsible. Your decisions matter. You think about God's sovereignty, you might be thinking, well, it doesn't matter what I do. If God's already planned it, why try? And you get this apathy. You can, you, can, you can get this sense of fatalism or determinism where it doesn't matter. And God says, no, no, no. Your decisions do matter. Don't presume to know the decreed will of God, but we must respond to his moral 
revealed will. We have the scriptures. We know what we're to do and what we're not to do. And I'm personally accountable to God for my own real and personal choices. I have responsibility. By faith, I must accept that both are true. God's completely sovereign. He knows the beginning from the end and everything in between, and he's ordained it. And I'm responsible for my decision. Every decision. No man can come to know the Lord Jesus Christ unless he believes. And yet God predetermines, God chooses, he predestines. But unless a man believes, he will be condemned. It's both. Both are there. God is sovereign and ordains all things, and I must make good and wise choices. A man reaps what he sows, right? I can't just assume I can just sin the way I want to, and there's not consequences. Well, God will over, oversee that. God's ordained. If I'm saved, he's, he's going he's to make me like Christ in the end. It doesn't matter what I do. No, your choices matter. And how God works those th- two things together, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, we don't know. That's the goodness and wonder and awesomeness of God. He works those things together. And God uses my decisions. This is absolutely amazing. In accomplishing his purposes, he actually chooses to use the decisions of man and folds those in, into this grand plan and the purposes that he accomplishes. God's sovereignty, you can think of, think of it like this, God's sovereignty is always consistent with man's responsibility. He puts them together. Man's actions do not trump God's sovereignty and his plan, and yet he uses our decisions to accomplish his ordained plans. And you might think of Deuteronomy 29, 29. We briefly looked at this last week. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are things we don't understand about his decreed will, and we're not going to know them unless he's revealed it in Scripture. So I acknowledge his sovereignty. There's a plan God has. It's great. It's glorious. But I don't know it. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. God has revealed responsibilities. He's revealed his word, his truth in his word. And that's what we're responsible to do. So we choose to obey. You know, Old and New Testament writers approach this paradox of God's decreed will and the absolute undeniable importance of man's decisions and their responsibility for those. It, it frequently occurs. You know, one, one here we might think of is back in the book of Esther. You, you'll remember in Esther uh, that Haman uh, had threatened to annihilate the Jews, and he had this evil plot to destroy them. Mordecai got word of that, and he asked for Queen Esther to use her influence and go before the king, risking her own life that, so that God could use her to save the Jews. And look what he, look what he says here as he's uh, prompting and encouraging Esther, Esther 4.14. Esther, for if you keep silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You know, Mordecai, he, he believed in the sovereignty of God. He believed in his decreed will. He believed in God's promises. You're the, we're, we're the chosen 
people of God. God will fulfill his covenant. He will not allow or permit God's people to be annihilated. And he's going to choose and use a human vessel and their decisions to, in this case, be used by God to save them. And in the rearview mirror here, we could see that it was God's decreed will all along to use Esther. You know, from Mordecai's view, he couldn't tell if it was going to be Esther or somebody else. But if it was from his view, from our human perspective, it wasn't going to be you, Esther. It's going to be someone else. But Esther acted prudently. God's plan would not fall apart if Esther chose poorly. And yet he chose to use her faithful decision to trust and obey a sovereign, caring God, to accomplish his good and decreed plan. And we must make decisions the same way. Trusting God to use our decisions to accomplish his good and holy purposes. Let's just you know, lay it out there. Big decisions are hard, aren't they? You guys are facing so many of them, many important decisions. And, and, you know, many of those decisions aren't moral in nature. That's not like right or wrong, right? Do I choose vanilla ice cream or chocolate? There's not, you know, okay. I do believe vanilla is more godly <laughs> than chocolate. It's my personal favorite. Um, but, you know, do I date Sally or Mary? Both godly ladies, you know? Uh, both, both ones that, that follow the Lord, uh, you know, I, I go through all the, the, the dating series and what, what Clay had to show there, and I, I, I look at all that, and so I, I, I have to make a decision, right? Do I date somebody? Do I marry this person? Do I choose this career path? Big decisions. And with that, there's so, there's so much uncertainty, isn't it? There's so much unknowns from our human perspective. You know, sometimes you're going to follow every bit of wisdom and care in making a God-honoring decision. And God in his providence will still make things turn out the way you didn't expect. There'll be trials. There'll be difficulties that go along with every, 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 every fiber in our body was trying to make that perfect decision. And God has different purposes. And in his providence, he may choose to send it a different direction. And from an earthly perspective, there's always this level, from our perspective, this uncertainty of the outcome, the anxiety of the unknown. There's a question here. How do I rest confidently in God, trusting him in these big decisions, the decisions that are much bigger than the choice of ice cream you might have at Mr. Goody's later? It's like this. This is what we want to focus on today. Trusting God, the essence of biblical decision-making. Trusting God. Here's one of those long statements, but it's as brief as I could make it, and yet <laughs> try to make things as clear as I could. To truly trust God in my decision-making, I must first convince myself of God's holy character and his promised disposition towards me to the point of making confident and thoughtful decisions by faith and for his glory. And if we want to put a, a verse to that, which I think just really crystallizes this well, Psalm 9:10 says this: "And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you." 
the psalmist here doesn't merely have a knowledge about God, does he? Not, not just a head knowledge. And I think about that, I think, well, so many times I just, I know things in my mind, but I don't take it this next step like the psalmist did. He takes a crucial step further. He is convinced about the holy character of God. And this knowing of God's personal here, right? You've not forsaken those who trust you. There's personal experience. You see here personal responsibility, right? I must decide to seek and trust. And it's an encouragement to me that I can seek the Lord. I can find trust there. And I can see myself not forsaken, even when I try to make the best decisions and they still don't turn out the way I would hoped or the way I would wanted in God's sovereign and perfect plan for me. Those who know your name, those who know God, those who know his character, those who know his attributes, he, he puts his trust in him. I ask myself, what would be some indicators of a lack of trust in my life? And much to my chagrin, those came very easily because I do this often. I'm not trusting God like I should. It's so easy to have anxiety to show a lack of trust, this fear of the unknown, this fear of making a wrong decision, this fear of, of, of more about what others think than what God thinks, uh, this fear of, of, of um, looking to other sources for, for making decisions rather than, than the Lord. These, these, these are indicators of a, of a lack of trust in God and looking to him first. So what does godly trust look like? How can I nurture a trusting confidence in God's name for who he is and what he promises? How do I cultivate this? this what, I, what I want to get out here today is the fabric of biblical godly decisions, the fabric of it, the meat of it, the substance of it is trusting God. If we miss that, we, we've missed it all. I, you know, I've, I've, I've been careful so far. This is our second lesson. I've not given you the recipe yet how to make a good decision, right? Come on, give me three points. <laughs> Just give me, give me the punchline here, because right? i got decisions to make. Uh, I, I, and I'm holding back on that. We, just, we, go, we go into that James 4 kind of decision-making, right, so quickly. And it's, it's my temptation and I'm saying it's going to be yours as well. We have to start here. We have to camp out first who God is and what my response to him should be when I face the big decisions of life. And that's a trust in who he is. It's truly trusting God in my decision-making, convincing myself of his holy character, his promised disposition to me in that, to the point of making confident and thoughtful decisions by faith and for his glory. And... Um, what I'd like to do here is show you several things about, several attributes of God. So we're going to look at six of them that I can use to fully trust God with my decision-making. This is the substance of trust. This is what the psalmists do. When they are afraid and they need to trust in God, the psalmist turns to God's holy, distinguished, different, utterly wonderful character and the promised disposition that comes to those who trust him. And the first one we're going to look at, as we've been talking about, is God's sovereignty. I can fully trust God with my decisions because he is sovereign, working all things for my good to fully accomplish his purposes for me. 
God is sovereign. You know this verse very well. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. We know, we can have certainty that those who love God, these are believers. Unbelievers don't have a love for God, a true love for God. Believers do. So we know with certainty that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that God works all things together. In other words, God providentially uses all things, anything at his disposal that he chooses to use. Circumstances, good, evil, the best moments trial, suffering, your decisions, everything to accomplish his good purposes, his good. God directs his providence here on my behalf to accomplish his good purpose in you, in me. God's disposition here is good, not harm. In his sovereignty, it's all about your profit and not your loss. He providentially works for your favor, not your disfavor. Now, this, this, this good here we're talking about, it's, it's popular to interpret this good as, you know, everything I ever wished, right? It's like the magic genie kind of thing, and, and there's not just three wishes, but that's unlimited. And I can always go back to this, that God has always promised good. He's always promised the result I wanted. He's always promised uh, the, the, the comfort or the ease or, 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 or the kind of things that, that make me comfortable. And yes, there's a fair amount of what God will do that is very gracious and kind to us. But we, we, can, we can certainly approach this good in a very self serving way, like God's obligated to give me what I want with no hardship, no trials, no struggles, but it's something, it's something far, far better than this. That verse, uh, verse 29 of, of Romans 8, that, that verse continuing, it says, for those he, he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What is the ultimate good that God is providentially working in all your circumstances of life to sovereignly accomplish, and as this, he has promised and he has guaranteed to make you like his son. This is good. You will be conformed to Jesus Christ, no longer battling sin. You'll be as righteous as he is, progressively here and ultimately in glory, just like him, right? His greater purpose in all his providence is to make you like Jesus. This is the ultimate definition of success. That's Christ-likeness. Why else do we make decisions? Why else do we do what we do? It's all about Christ. It's all about him. It's our ultimate purpose in life. And here in Romans 8.28, we get some understanding of that, that God is not just sovereign with just a blueprint, and we just kind of walk through it. No, he providentially works in such a way including your decisions, all along the way, even when they have good results and even when they have bad results, you can be confident and, and, and you can take to the bank the guarantee that he's using all those things to make you like Christ. I would say above anything else, if we want, that, that, that we would want in our decisions, you know, especially the big ones, we want to know that all things will work out, don't we? I mean... It's strenuous. It's hard. How, 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 how will this work? I'm trying my best, Lord. And I, just, I just don't know. 
And there's this anxiety and there's almost this dread at times. How will things work out? If I date and marry this guy, will he always love me? You know, if I, if I, if I change this degree path, will, will I enjoy that, that career? If I move to this new town and a brand new place, will I, will I find good friends? Will I, will I have a, a safe place to live? When I graduate and leave Lynchburg, will I, will I find a church to love like, like I do this one? And we all find ourselves doubting and questioning the same thing. How will things work out? And to these specific questions, in most cases, God will not give us those specific answers. We will find those out as God providentially works. What he does choose to give us is a much better guarantee. He tells us all things will work out for the good in making you more like Christ. It doesn't matter if your decision goes sideways. It doesn't matter if, the, if I don't know the result. I can go day by day trusting God, knowing he's providentially working and applying wisdom in the circumstances that are before me, knowing that in all that, he's working it together to make me more like Christ. You remember uh, the story of Joseph in Genesis. Joseph sold off by his jealous brothers, uh, becomes a servant in Potiphar's house, uh, you know, Joseph's doing all the right things, right? Uh, and then Potiphar's wife, uh, you know, starts seducing him. He does the right thing. He flees. How could I dishonor a God and sin against him? You know what that good decision, where that landed him, right? Landed him in, in prison? Several years in prison, forgotten there? Don't you think it was kind of crossing Joseph's mind? mind uh, Lord, I did all the right things. Lord, I, I, I tried to please you. Why am I here? And you see, in the end, God gave Joseph the right interpretation of really the grand plan of God using all that evil for God's good and holy purposes. Romans 8.28, right here in the Old Testament. As for you, he said to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many, should, many people should be kept alive as they are today. We don't know God's purpose. We don't know what he, he plans to do, but we do know his supreme, grand, glorious purpose, and that's to make us more like Jesus. I can trust him because he's sovereign. I can also trust God because he's love. He is showing, I can trust God with my decisions because he's love, showing he is fully committed to my utmost care and good. God is love. Psalm uh, 32 in verse 10 goes like this. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Love. Love. I remember when I was in third grade, I remember it well because I was really scared. We had just moved to a new town, and um, if you've had that happen before, you've got to go maybe if you're, if you're in a school, you're not maybe in a homeschool environment, but you go to a school and uh, all these new friends and all these new people, and it was really scary. And my dad took me to that first day of school, right in the middle of the school year. And, uh, man, I was scared spitless. I was nervous. <laughs> you know, will I have friends? Uh, you know, uh, how are things going to turn out? You know, will my teacher be the wicked witch of the West? You know, uh, you know, you think everything, doom and gloom. 
And uh, I remember my dad dropped me off, and I so wanted my dad to stay with me. And uh, I look back and said, that would have been kind of awkward, my dad sitting in a third-grade desk next to me in class holding his hand. That would not have ended well. Uh, but, uh, you know, my dad knew it was better. I had to go through that. He left me there, but, you know, he assured me, hey, they called me Dick back then. Hey, Dick. They called me Dickie. Dickie, it'll be good. You're going to learn here. You're going to grow here. You know what? T- tonight you'll, we'll be back together again. You can tell me what your day's like. And, uh, you know, it was that, that confidence, that childlike trust in a dad, even when you were scared, that kind of got me through the day. It was knowing God loved me. Uh, well, in this case, my father's love, my earthly, it was my earthly father's love. I knew that, and I, and I, could, I, could, I, could, I could trust in that. And it's really the same thing for God's, God's love for us as our Heavenly Father, right? A trust, a confidence, uh, that knowing God's got our back, that knowing his disposition to me is, is love and it's good and, it's, and it's, it's always giving. You know, uh, Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son. God, God gave us everything in Christ, right? If he didn't spare his own son, for this wicked, rebellious sinner who deserved hell and didn't want God at all, and yet in his merciful grace sent the Lord Jesus Christ to redeem me from hell. If he would give us all that, the second person of the Trinity coming down and dying for me, if he gives us that, if he didn't spare his own son, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Really? Do I really question God's love that way? Like God's going to hold back? God works all things for the good, and he does it in a loving way. It's always filled with love. He he extends his love and care to us in a covenant relationship, never to deny us, always initiating, always extending his love toward us. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not also be our constant help in time of decision? Will he not also seek our goodness and welfare when we seek him and fear him when we need him most? You know, even when we stray in God's love, he disciplines us. It's still an expression, an extent of his love, where he, he puts us through difficult times, through discipline, to bring us back where we need to be. Always extending love. I, I like how Jerry Bridges said it. God's love to us cannot fail any more than his love for Christ can fail. Think about that. In your union with Christ, the second member of the Trinity here in God's perfect love for his Son and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the love and, and, and devotion and unending commitment, eternal love for the Son is that same love he has for his children. It will not waver. It will not fail. And in all things, as he works for them for the good, it's always an expression of his love. When we trust, we don't question that love, do we? We learn to trust him and say, yes, this might be hard, but God loves me and is extending that love. I can fully trust God with my decisions because he's sovereign and he's loving and he's also good. Closely related to love here, but he's also good. I can trust God with my decisions because he is good, demonstrating he is merciful, kind, and benevolent to me in all situations. Remember, God works all things together for good. He expresses his good in all situations. 
Psalm 145, 8 and 9 says this, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all he has made. If you didn't catch that last one, I'll put it up there again. He's good. He's good. Closely related to love. The love of God for you is an expression of his goodness. I liked how J.I. Packer said it. God's goodness is his cosmic generosity. His cosmic generosity. God's goodness prompts him to deal kindly and generously and patiently and mercifully towards us with affection. With great comfort, you can look to God with your decisions because of his goodness and his promise of Romans 8.28. We must dispel the lies that undermine his goodness when we face difficult tasks and decisions. Because God is good, it's not his desire to trick you, to cheat you in any way. He doesn't play some kind of insidious cosmic game of hide and seek, just hoping to trip you up. He's not on a mission to harm you or to hold back what's best for you. I remember uh, when I was dating Christy, getting to know her family, and I, and, and I got to know her mom and just the kind of home Christy was raised in. Uh, her, her mom is just like the, the epitome of just goodness, um, always extending mercy and kindness and generosity. I, I would know as a poor, starving college student, whenever I'd come by the house, I'd have something to eat. <laughs> I'd always be hoping for curry, and she was always afraid that I, would, I wouldn't be able to handle the spices, okay, this all-American boy here. Uh, the first time I ate them, I was kind of shocked. Oh, wow, I never had this kind of spice before. And uh, smoke coming out of my ears, and she's like, oh. Every time I would come back, she'd serve me tuna casserole, okay? And it was really good. It was like a 9 by 11, whatever. It was like... Uh, it was a, a, a great, but I, 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 I really like your curry. It's like, no, here's, have the tuna casserole. I don't want to hurt you. Uh, always extending good and kindness. She's still that way. We go to visit her. She's in a nursing home now. And, and uh, just, you know, we have friends like that. They're always extending good. They're always looking for what's a benefit to us. That's God's disposition. He's not trying to, like, poke you and then just kind of run away. Ha, ha, ha. You know? Uh, it's, it's, it's for good purposes. It's, it's, it's for your profit. He is good. Uh, Lamentations 3.25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. What a promise here. When you seek after God, he will show his goodness, all right? He showers his kindness when we least deserve it. He gives us wisdom and generously provides it when we humbly submit and seek him. He will give you the grace you need. Let's go to another attribute of God that gives us confidence in trusting him with our decisions, and that is he is omnipotent. He's all-powerful, ensuring he has the power to always succeed in his promises and plans. It's one thing to have a plan, but do you have ability to carry it out? And God says, yes, always, always, always. Psalm 147, 4 and 5. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. 
He's powerful. He has the ability to accomplish anything he desires. What do we learn in Romans 8.28? He promises good. He promises to make you Lord Jesus Christ, to make you just like him, to conform him, you into his image. And guess what? He has the power to do it. He will accomplish his good and holy purposes. It's guaranteed. There is nothing God cannot do. Nothing's impossible. If he wills it, it comes to pass. He has unlimited strength, and he does it without effort. He never tires. He never needs rest. He never needs a sabbatical. So when God commits to accomplish something according to his sovereign will, he has the power to fulfill it. And whatever way God chooses, however he chooses to providentially work it in his goodness and in his love and in his faithfulness to his promises, nothing can stop or alter that. I could also fully trust God with my decisions because he's omniscient. He knows all things. And that assures me that he fully knows all things, including every detail of my life and circumstances. You know, it would be one thing for God to care for me, but what if he didn't know what my needs were? What does he know about this this decision I'm struggling with? What does he even know that the source of my anxious thoughts He knows everything. You go back to um, uh, Matthew chapter 6. Remember, the the Lord rebukes anxiety there, right? He calls anxiousness sin. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. He says the Gentiles run after all these things, right? And what what was the confidence that the Lord gave to those who are prone to anxiety. He says in verse 32 of Matthew 6, it's the Gentiles that seek after all these things. What am I going to wear? What am I going to drink? You know, what, what am I going to eat? You might be asking the similar questions. Who will I marry? What, 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 what will I like my new college major? How will I get a job? Will it work out? Will I be happy? How long will this take? Worry, that, 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 that sense of worry, just, it paralyzes our decision-making, doesn't it? It saps my energy. It's distracting. What was Jesus' answer to the ones that fret and worry and run like this, like all of us have the tendency to do? He says, the Gentiles seek after all these things, Matthew 6.32, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows that you need them all. That's the comfort. God knows. God knows those things. And that coupled with him being loving and good and um, um, uh, omnipotent and powerful gives me the confidence to say, God's got this. And what was this woman saying? I know you need these things, so just start doing the kingdom work. Start serving me. Start following me. Start trusting me. And I'll take care of these other things. The passage, um, another passage here in Isaiah 40, 28. Haven't you not, have you not known have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah 40, verse 28. You know, um, one of the many blessings of marriage, and we, we certainly enjoyed seeing Colton and Chloe's wedding yesterday. Um, what, a, what a blessing that was. And as they get to know each other more and uh, you know, they, they came here as two people yesterday, and they left as one. And one thing they're going to learn is how to share needs with one another, concerns and burdens with, with a caring spouse that loves you. 
you've surely found faithful friends like that, right? I mean, some of you today will call your mom or your dad and, and just share your burdens with them. There's something about them knowing and that they're going to pray for you and that they're thinking about you. That gives a comfort, doesn't it? Just that they know. And wow, so much more for our Heavenly Father to know us so intimately and the things that, that are a burden to you and the things you care about. God is not this impersonal force that just has no desire and he's just apathetic and no, his disposition is love and care and concern and he knows you and he has the power to change things if it's his will, but in all those things we can be confident. We can be guaranteed that he will work in all those things to accomplish his good purposes in making you more like Christ. And finally, as we look at these uh, different attributes of God, the fabric of decision-making. What is the substance? What do do I really hang my hat on? How do I look to God and really put my trust there where I can rest confidently? I can fully trust uh, God with my decisions because he is wise. He's always choosing the best course of actions to always fulfill the results he intends. It's one thing to know and it's another thing to actually know how to carry it out, right? How many times have you been going down the road following your GPS and all the knowledge is there and all of a sudden, how did I end up here? <laughs> Every time I'm driving back to Ohio or coming back, they always, the, the, the GPS always wants to take me up narrow passage road. And it's like, no, I'm not going there. And I keep fighting it. I keep fighting it. I keep fighting it. I know better. Uh, not wise, right? If I want to get there tonight... I'm not going to take narrow passage road and all its beauty, especially at night when there is no beauty. And, uh, you know, it's one thing to know something, but then to, 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 to get that exact path. God is wise. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. He's wise. What, what, what is this uh, wisdom that we're talking about? Well, wisdom in general is taking knowledge you have and then exercising good judgment, right, in a, in a decision or in action. Well, in God's wisdom, God will always exercise his perfect wisdom from his perfect knowledge to always choose the best course of actions through the most optimal means to always fulfill the results and purposes that he intends. There's never a path that's unchartered. There, there's, 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 there's never this, well, I know what to do, but I don't know how to do it. That, that, you know, that, that same struggle we're always beset with. Lord, I know the right thing to do. Now, how, how do I do it? What's the best way? And in God's wisdom, his perfect wisdom, he always exercises it perfectly. He always does it in such a way that it's optimal and perfect and good. You know, a great book will always have a second or third edition, right? You notice that? There's always new and advanced information. A great cell phone, right? You get that new cell phone, woohoo! Several years, oh, this thing's a piece of trash, right? Give me a better model. Give me newer technology. A great app will always require an upgrade, right? There's always bugaboos. Yeah, here's uh, another patch, another patch, another patch. Why? Because we don't have perfect knowledge. We don't have perfect wisdom, but God does. 
He never agonizes over a decision. He's always active and never fails with his wisdom. Every one of his decisions are always wise decision. And that means in his providential activity to do all things well and for your good in making you like Jesus Christ in everything, he is doing it with wisdom. It's never the wrong path. How many times have we questioned in this muck I'm in, in this trial I'm in, and how do I get out? God's wise. He's good. He's loving. He knows what he's doing, and I can trust him in it. And look how these different attributes work together. They're not just like in little silos, okay? God is love. God is wise. No, they work together. Look what J.I. Packer says about wisdom and power. Wisdom without power would be pathetic, a broken reed, right? Power without wisdom would be merely frightening. I mean, think about that. But in God's boundless wisdom and endless power when they're united, but in God, boundless wisdom and endless power are united. And this makes him utterly worthy of our fullest trust. We can trust. In other words, when the going gets tough, the tough get trusting. It's what we do. It's what we need to learn to do, right? And so, you know, as we uh, work on wrapping up the lesson here, this is, this is where we need to start with godly decision-making, trusting God. It's the essence of our godly decisions. And if, if you can think with me and just ponder this, it's so easy to slug through the trials of life and to face big decisions and all their difficulty and uncertainty and pressure and miss the necessity and the privilege of trusting God. Think with me. It's this, it's this reality of uncertainty and fears of our unknowns. It's those very things that drive us to the Lord. Remember what he's committed to doing. He is committed to making you a faithful follower. He is committing, committed to making you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Decisions aren't outside that like another activity. Oh, I've got decisions to make. God, make me, make, make me more like the Lord Jesus Christ over here while I'm at church. But then I leave and I've got decisions to make. No. It's that process of learning and trusting God in those decisions where he's accomplishing his very purposes in you. The struggle with the decision. The, the, the results of a decision that didn't turn out the way you expected. What is God doing? He's teaching us to trust him. He's teaching us to return to the promises of Romans 8.28 that God's not making any mistakes here. He knows what he's doing. And he's providentially working for his grand purpose of making me more like the Lord Jesus Christ. I can trust him with my decisions. Let's go back to what we looked at earlier, trusting God. To truly trust God in my decision-making, I must first convince myself of God's holy character and his promised disposition towards me to the point of making confident and thoughtful decisions by faith and for his glory. That's the essence of decision-making. When you approach the big decisions of life, it's trusting God. Now, we looked at uh, several attributes of God. Why God is trustable. He's good. He's omnipotent or all-powerful. He's sovereign. He's loving. 
He's omniscient and he's wise. This is how we nurture a trust in God. Now, I want to give you something here, okay, an acronym, okay, an acronym, an acrostic, to help you think about this, all right? Nurturing a trust in God in my decision-making needs to start here. Go slow. Stop. Pause. Don't be a James Ford decision-maker. Run. I'm going to make this plan. I'm going to do that. I've got to get this right. I've got this recipe. If I just do this, 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 and this, this, it'll all work out fine. I don't know the answer in the end. Stop. Stop. Go slow. Pause. Think. Meditate on God's goodness, on his power, on his sovereignty, on his love and his omniscience and his wisdom. Don't make decisions in a vacuum. I can handle this. I can do this on my own. I've been there enough, right? It's tiring. It's hard. (laughs) It's not good for sleep at night. Uh, Look at God's promises of and his certainty of his character. What did David say here? Psalm 56, 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. You go through the Psalms. In fact, this will be a great activity this week. Go into the Psalms, get a good search engine, okay, a Bible search engine like Blue Letter Bible, something like that. And the advanced options there, put in Psalms and put in trust. And hit the button and boom, you know, you're going to see all these hits. And every time you see David or the psalmist putting their trust in God, you'll see them recounting these attributes, goodness, omnipotence, sovereignty, love, omniscience, wisdom, you know, when David was afraid, he put his trust in him. Don't you think there were big decisions? Don't you think there were circumstances out of his control? Don't you think he was experiencing those very same things we do when we just want to know how it's all going to work out in the end? When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. Go slow. Start here. I know, I know, I know. Sometimes decisions have to be made like right now. Oh, there's a truck coming right at me. All right, I better turn. <laughs> Not a time to be slow. Uh, All right, I'll give you one out there, okay? Here's my encouragement. Think on the Lord and trust him. Trust him. It's what he's doing in decision-making. Go slow, meditate on who he is, and apply that to your life, and find rest and comfort and confidence in your decisions, okay? So uh, what we're going to do next week is start giving you some of those recipes, okay? What do I do? How do I make wise choices? Uh, How do I know right from wrong? Well, how how do I know a path I should take here? We're going to give you biblical principles for doing that, that you can commit to a God who has promised good to you, and he's promised to complete it in making you more like the Lord Jesus Christ. He's good. He's omnipotent. He's sovereign. He's loving. He's omniscient and wise. We have a great God worthy of your trust. Let's, Let's close in prayer. All right. Father, you are a great God. You're holy. You are different. You are altogether different from us. And Lord, forgive us for just bringing us down to our, uh, you down to our level, Lord, where we don't trust your wisdom because we think it's like ours. It's flawed. We, 
we, we, we, we distrust your love because we break so many promises ourselves and our, our devotion to one another is so flawed. We question your goodness and just the generosity because we ourselves fail in so many ways. And Lord, we forget you're, you're, you're all-knowing and, and, and wise and we'll choose all the best courses of action. And we, we bring you down to our level just, just thinking you're like us and all the mistakes we make and you're so different. You're so other. You're so worthy of our trust. Lord, Help us to pray like the psalmist. Help us to seek you with all our hearts. Help us to find the comfort and rest in decisions and putting those and parking those in your divine sovereignty that is committed in your providence to making us more like your Christ, the promised good that's guaranteed to those who love God. Lord, help us in that effort. Give us your grace. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.